This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. A little over a year ago, schools across Massachusetts shuttered their windows and doors and began offering instruction online. In many parts of the state, children, even in late April, have been attending classes only online. To see how the public is responding to this extended closure of the Massachusetts schools, the Pioneer Institute, a public policy research center located in Boston, has asked a respected polling group at Emerson College to administer a survey to a cross-section of the Massachusetts public. And I'm very pleased to have with me today, Charles Cipio, a senior fellow at the Pioneer Institute to discuss the results of the survey that was administered just this past month. So thank you, Charles, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks, Professor Peterson. It's great to be here. So Charles, your poll asked the Massachusetts public to grade the performance of the schools in the state since the start of the COVID pandemic. And you asked them to give the schools a grade on the familiar A to F scale. So what grade did the schools get? Well, the, the grade the schools are getting a worse grade than than my own students are get getting. I can I can tell you that they're um, they have gotten the average is a C. The plurality of students of, of respondents uh, gave twenty nine percent gave the schools a C, and it pretty much is right down the middle because you had about thirty six percent who gave an A or a B, and about thirty six percent who gave a D or an F. So it's pretty much a straight C. Well, I know in the Education Next polls, we have uh, usually gotten, when we, when we ask about uh, uh, local schools, about half of them will give their schools an A or a B. You know, there'll be about 20% get a D and an F and the rest get the C. So this doesn't seem quite as good, even though Massachusetts should be outperforming the rest of the country in terms of the school uh, ratings. Yeah, no, I think it's very clear. To, it's safe to say that uh, people, uh, people's view of, of the schools has gone down during this pandemic year, and clearly they don't believe that, they're, that students are getting the quality of education that they have in other years. So what percentage of parents say their kids are still learning fully remotely and not in school at all? What percentage did you get? Well, the, they're not I don't think there's there are virtually no parents who are saying uh, that their that their parent that their students are um, you know getting as good an education as they did previously. Uh, parents did uh, give the schools a slightly better rating than um, uh, than the than residents as a whole. Uh, among residents as a whole, we had um, uh, we had about uh, 65% who gave either an A, a B, or a C. Among parents, that was slightly higher at 70%. But uh, we've got virtually no one who is saying, oh, yeah, just as good as ever. Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. So the parents aren't quite as critical as everybody else. But then uh, how about how about the just the facts? Uh, what percentage of parents said their children are, are learning uh, only online, fully remotely, not in person at all? That was 11%. So 11% say they are, are not uh, learning in person at all? Yeah, it was 39% uh, fully remote, 50% hybrid, and 11% fully in person. 
only 11% are getting it full-time in person like my two grandchildren. I have, I have two grandchildren who are going to a Catholic school and they're going to school every single day in the middle of Boston. Yeah. So look, how, I mean, many, how many of the kids in Boston who aren't going to Catholic schools but are going to the district schools are, are, are actually doing it every single day at home? In, in person at school? Well, very, very few. Uh, you know, we had this uh, uh, April 5th date at which elementary students were supposed to go back uh, to in-person education in Massachusetts, but Boston was one of the districts that got an extension. So right now, I believe you really only have a fairly small number of special needs students uh, who are really going in and getting in-person education daily. So... The CDC says it's safe to open the schools. Biden has said the schools should open as soon as possible. Why haven't the schools in Massachusetts opened? Well, if you ask the people in this in this poll, they would tell you uh, that certainly teachers unions play a big role in that. Uh, we asked them uh, on a one to 10 basis with um, you know one being the least influence and 10 being the most influence, uh, how much influence teachers unions had over decisions to open or close schools. And uh, statewide, 31% uh, of respondents gave, gave um, teachers unions a 10 in terms of their influence over whether schools open or not. Uh, in Boston, that number was even higher. It was 36% uh, gave, gave teachers unions a 10. Uh, and uh, the number was also higher among parents. So, so uh, a 10 is the extreme, but if you just say a seven or an eight, uh, it seems to me like I read in the poll that there's a majority of- um, Yeah, if, if statewide, yeah. Uh, there's a majority who would give, uh, uh, give teachers unions influence a seven through 10. Uh, and among parents, a majority gave, uh, gave it an eight, through nine or a 10. So, what did they think? Did they think that the unions had uh, taken the interests of the children into account? I mean, I talked to a union leader and they said, well, you know, a lot of parents are frightened to death uh, at the possibility that their kids could get COVID if they went back to school. So, you know, the teachers are only, uh, you know, thinking about the welfare of the students. Uh, do the parents think that the union is thinking primarily about the welfare of students? Uh, it doesn't seem that way. Among among the people who, uh, you know, the overall 1,500 respondents, we had about 39% who said that they thought the teachers, uh, the teachers unions were working, you know, were uh, working for the benefit of children uh, and that that was their priority. But if we narrow that down to parents who don't work in the school system, then we found that only 37% um, said teachers unions were acting in the best interests of students, while 49% said they were not. So you mentioned that you had 1,500 respondents. How did you uh, draw your sample? And, uh, and do you feel like you have a pretty representative sample of the public in, in Massachusetts? Yeah, uh, I think that we do. I mean, we relied on Emerson for that. And we thought they did a very good job uh, in terms of doing that. We we, we chose to do a very large sample. I mean, a lot of the polls you'll see are 400, 500. The reason we decided to do 
1500 was because we knew we were going to ask a few questions that were asked, for example, only of parents. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a large enough sample so that when we broke it down for some of these questions, we would still have a statistically significant uh, number of respondents. So do you see any differences by ethnic group? Is there uh, are, are the uh, African-American and Hispanic respondents less critical or more critical yeah. of, of, of what's happening out there? Well, that was very interesting, actually. Uh, we, with African-Americans in particular, uh, they were actually both more and less critical uh, in, this, in that um, African-Americans had a higher, uh, it had a higher, they, they gave A's much more often, uh, like 33, 32% of the time, I believe, or 30% of the time, I'm sorry. Uh, but they also gave F's more often. So among African Americans, it was less in the middle and more at each extreme. Um, we also saw that um, uh, in general, Asian Americans were um, tended to be. Uh, happier with the performance of schools. Yeah, and I think Hispanic Americans were happy. We tend to find that in our education yeah. textbook that Hispanic Americans uh, tend to be more generous in their evaluation of schools than than other than other groups. And I don't know. Do you yes. have any thoughts as to why that could be the case? You know, I have to say, I I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, maybe uh, you know. Uh, one guess might be that because uh, there are a number of Hispanic Americans that uh, have spent less time in this country, that maybe you know there's sort of a feeling that there, there's there's uh, more of a respect or a, a willingness to defer to institutions. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just I guess I'm biased by you know my parents came from the United States from Italy, and I know that you know when they first got here, certainly and even beyond, they were always they were very deferential to institutions, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't know if that's a common, uh, 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 common experience among immigrants, uh, but that's just one thing that comes to mind. Well, you know, if you look at the international data, um, the United States uh, doesn't have the greatest numbers in terms of student learning at school, but it's higher than Latin America in general, and Mexico in particular, sure. where you have a big migration. So maybe, you know, it may be, you know, people say, well, this is better than it was before. So maybe that, that could, it could be, yeah, yeah. point about deferential is interesting too. It could be maybe a little of both. Right. So how about the uh, men and the women that you talk to uh, are, are uh, you know, generally people talk about uh, women taking more responsibility for their children's education than men. Uh, was there any difference in their assessment of, you know, uh, how much their kids' education had been compromised and uh, what, what had happened to their children over this, uh, over this uh, uh, last year? Right. Well, um, you know, certainly, you know, as I said, you know, everybody certainly thought that their uh, children had been, their ed children's education had been pretty highly compromised, generally speaking. 55% of female parents said that their, their child, their children's education was compromised at 70%, uh, 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 compromised at seven or higher on that one to 10 scale compared to 50% of male parents. So look, I think that, uh, 
you know, the reality is, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, that more often we still live in a society where indeed uh, women are more involved in their children's education than men are. And it does seem that uh, the parents who uh, more often are, are the most involved with their children's education were slightly less, uh, you know, less happy with uh, with that education. But there wasn't years. too much difference there. Right? It wasn't a huge difference. 5 percent to 50 percent. Yeah, so you know, 50 versus fairly, 55. Fairly, fairly close, but there was still a lot that uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, seven or higher, a majority said their children's education had been seriously compromised. That's a pretty big. Yeah, no, that is, that is, that, you know, look, I think that, I think that these results speak to um, the need to, you know, maybe take a close look at some really uh, sort of robust summer programs this year, because uh, clearly we're dealing with some serious learning loss that uh, we certainly don't want to ripple through the system, you know, for the rest of the time that these that these students are in school. So there's some serious, uh, there are definitely some serious issues here. Um, yeah, you know, if you look at uh, the data from uh, World War II, when uh, European school systems shut down, and even even Austria, which was not really involved in World War II in the same way right. as many other countries were, it was you know the mountainous country off on the side, nobody, yep. you know, they pretty much left it alone. But still, uh, you know, if somebody went back many years later to find out how well these, uh, that generation of kids that went through school during that war when the schools were shut down, that uh, their, their incomes were, were way down compared to those. Wow, that's uh, very interesting. Uh, just before that. them or just after them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so it had really long-term uh, consequences and you might think that that could happen again well, that's that's the fear, and I would think that you know we need to think long and hard about taking some you know uh, some aggressive actions to try to stop that from happening. Well, you ask a very interesting question in the poll, and one that I've not seen in any other poll. You ask parents whether their children's education was adequate enough to allow them yeah. to advance to the next grade, or whether they thought the child should be held back and repeat yep. the grade over again. I found that a fascinating question. What did, what did you find? Well, that, the answers to that were indeed fascinating. What we found was that, uh, you know, 58% said, yep, they're ready to move on to the next grade, you know, no problem, which when you think about it, that's not a large number. Uh, you know, 16% said that they would think about holding their, their child back. And uh, more than a quarter, you know, said they really weren't sure. Now, what we so the interesting thing, a couple of interesting things. One is this 16% is a huge number, one that would also certainly have large impacts on school systems. Um, you know, obviously, I think a lot of districts would try to counsel parents out of holding that number of, uh, you know, just children back. But the other interesting thing we found about that number was that there was a, a definite correlation between um, the amount of synchronous education time children had uh, and how many were ready to move on. In other words, among parents who, you know, said that their children were getting 16 hours a week or more of synchronous online education. Now, what do you mean by synchronous? I mean, like, you know, if I teach a class, I teach a class at Suffolk and, you know, my class is, Suffolk, is synchronous in that we have a, a specific time at which, uh, you know, I log on, my students log on and, you know, I teach the class. Uh, 
uh, asynchronous is when you simply have material that the that, that you know work that the children are supposed to just go back and do online and there may not be any teacher presence at the time when they're doing it i see so, what you mean. yeah yeah so uh we found that for those uh um, children who had 16 hours or more a week uh, of synchronous education uh that number uh, was uh, in, in went from 16%, you know, thinking about holding back down to 9%. But among those uh, students who had a very small amount of synchronous education, that 16% number went up to 23%. So it seems like it's really important if you are going to have online education that it be the teacher talking to the students in a classroom, teaching, exactly, uh, such yes. as you were, and not just uh, looking at videos online and uh, trying to uh, teach themselves based on those videos. Yeah, I mean, look, I can tell you from my own experience that it's hard enough to to get students to focus when you you know even if you're there, sort of, you know, remotely live, whatever the term is is for for actually being there in real time but not physically being in front of them, that makes it difficult to get keep students attention uh, and I can imagine and my students are college students and so I can imagine you know what it's like for younger students uh, you know when there's really no kind of force to keep them focused on the material. So uh, how about the socialization? Did parents feel their kids were getting enough uh, you know interaction with other children and so forth one way or another or, or did they express concerns there as well yeah no that was that was really that was one of the strongest responses that basically uh 43 of parents thought their child socialization or their children's socialization was totally inadequate and almost 70 percent thought that it was either somewhat or totally inadequate and this is a tough one because you know look i you know, uh, you know, Pioneer certainly over the last year has done a lot of work on, you know, what schools are doing and kind of uh, uh, in many cases has, you know, criticized the approach that's been taken and recommended uh, different approaches. But, you know, it is awfully hard to provide um, to provide adequate socialization in our online settings. So that is a, that is clearly a very that's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, you know, I used to think that online education was the wave of the future, but the one impact the COVID pandemic has had on my thinking is that uh, it, it's it's probably not uh, going to prove to be the solution. In my own teaching, uh, I don't feel like it's been as good a, uh, an arrangement as being in the classroom with students. And the studies that are coming out these days are are confirming that that's more general and. Uh, and I don't know what you think. Um, no, look, I mean, I think, I think that, um, I think that certainly we will see more online education than we had. But I definitely see it as a more of a, I don't know, a, a niche. But you know, maybe among certain students, uh, it's effective. But my own experience has been, you know, very much like yours. Uh, uh, you know, it, it in my own teaching, it just has not been. Uh, as good, uh, you know, it, it, you know, as effective, I feel as when I'm actually physically in the class with students. And frankly, from, you know, my daughter is a senior in high school and watching her, you know, uh, I think it's the same. I've come to the same conclusion uh, from a parental point of view as well. 
Well, in the Boston public school system, there was a story saying that there were like about 20% or, or, or maybe, no, it was even more than that, uh, that uh, of juniors and seniors were, were absent, uh, chronically absent from school. They just yes. weren't bothering. And, uh, you know, if people don't want to even bother about clicking in uh, and, and nominally attending school, then, you know, you've got a serious problem. Yes, I don't know if you've had this experience, but uh, <laughs> I know I learned very early that uh, I thought, oh, well, I must be a very interesting teacher because my students are all coming to class, except for then if you ever have a class that ends a little early, uh, you know, you've got all those four or five boxes that when you're when you when you go off, they're still there because you realize clearly they came and they, uh, you know, they, they, they clicked on and then went off <laughs> and did something else. So uh, I, 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 I think you're right. I, I think that's an issue. Well, well uh, Charles, this is a fascinating poll, and uh, I, I know it's going to have a big impact. And uh, do you think the schools are going to open this fall in Massachusetts, in person, everywhere, all of them? I think, I think it, yes, I do expect that. I mean, look, I think, you know, perhaps there might be some small uh, exception somewhere, but for the most part, I do think that's going to happen. I think the demand for that going to happen, for that to happen politically will be overwhelming. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the Education uh, Exchange, Charles. Uh, it's been great chatting with you about this uh, important study that you've just completed. Well, my pleasure, Professor Peterson. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Charles Chippio, a senior fellow at the Pioneer Institute and director of a new poll on the public evaluation of school responses to the pandemic in Massachusetts. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.